0: What I want to talk to you today about is um, who do you trust? Who do you trust? This is a very important question because who you let into your life and more importantly, who you actively listen to in your life, who you're in community with is a big deal. It's a really, really big deal. Now here's what I know about most everybody in the room. There's a basic assumption that most of us have. Here it is, that nice people think that everyone else is nice and responsible. Nice people, if you're nice, you tend to think that everybody else is nice and responsible like you are. And so you tend to treat people largely the way you want to be treated. Unless there's some hurt or some angst or some stress, we tend to gravitate towards seeing people the way we see ourselves. And we tend to treat them largely the way that we want to be treated. Jesus speaks specifically to that, and he says, look, we need to do that. We need to treat people the way we want to be treated, especially when we don't feel like it. That's especially the right time to lean in and do it. But there's a positive side to this. Because if you are nice and responsible, and you're surrounded by nice and responsible people, well, your relationships can go fairly smoothly. That's a really great thing. If you're around nice and responsible people, and you're a nice and responsible person, Life just gets easier. Now, if you're the parent of a teenager in the room, you understand the principle I'm trying to stress right now. You look at your child, you value your child, your son, your daughter, and you're hoping that they're surrounded by nice and responsible people as they do their life. So there's our assumption. Can we talk reality for just a second? The reality is that everyone you deal with is not nice and responsible. Neither is everyone that your children interacts with. They're just not Not everybody's nice and responsible. So what do we do with the fact that our lives are going to bump up against people that are not not always nice and responsible? Now, we could take a few minutes and unpack what does it mean to not be responsible and not be nice. But I think you know what I'm talking about. We all have those people, those challenges in our relationships where people have a pattern of not being nice or responsible, and yet you're related to them. Or you work beside of them. Maybe you're married to one. Maybe it's your in-laws. So what are you going to do with that? Well, there's there's an assumption, I think, that people make that we're supposed to treat everybody the same. Just treat everybody the same. That real justice and fairness demands that we treat everybody the same. But in this message, I'm going to challenge you to not do that. I'm going to challenge you to take the responsibility that God gives you as an individual to make some values-based decisions about the people you let speak into your life. I'm going to give you a couple tools straight from God's Word. I'm not making this up. This isn't pop psychology. I'm not Oprah or Dr. Phil. We are people who peddle in God's Word and we direct people to Jesus. That's our entire mission here. But God's Word speaks to this kind of stuff. It speaks to the relational turmoil that we can find ourselves in. It speaks to the kinds of people we should surround ourselves with. And it acknowledges that while you might be nice and responsible, not everybody is. And it's okay for you to acknowledge that. In fact, you have to. You have a responsibility to. And you have a responsibility then to make values-based decisions about who you let speak into your life. Parents, parents, parents. Wouldn't it be great if you could trust your child to make a values-based decision about whose voice has influence in his life or her life? It's like if you knew that they could look at a group of friends, at an individual and say, that person, I'll be nice to them. They'll be a friend of sorts, but they're not going to have any real influence on me. And then they could look at somebody else and say, that person there really is nice and responsible and I'm going to open my heart a little bit, lower my trust factors just a little bit, my gates just a little bit. And I'm going to let that relationship, because of the quality of that person, have more access to my thought processes and my behaviors. Now you see that with teenagers, but can I tell you as a pastor... I have a front row seat to watching people mismanage the responsibility they have to make a values-based decision about who speaks into their life all the time, and it's not just teenagers. It can be, on a grand scale, our entire culture, we let in unfiltered. The things we entertain ourselves with, we let in unfiltered. And sometimes relationships, sometimes just the function of spending time around people, We tend to lower our guards and they then get almost an unfettered access into our lives. But God's word challenges us on that tendency most of us have to just let the people around us have influence on us. It challenges us to make a values-based decision about who we're going to actively let speak into our lives. And it gives us some great tools to put those boundaries, appropriate thresholds in place. I want to take you to Proverbs chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. If not, the words will be on the sign screen. You can find them on your phone. A lot of folks in the room are doing that. Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 9. Here's what God's Word says. And I just want you to look at the way there's some distinguishing being made between different types of behavior. Here's Here's what the Bible says. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs, incurs, incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers, they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they'll love you. Instruct the wise and they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. One more verse and then we'll talk about it. Proverbs 12:15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Now when you dig into the pages of God's word, there's a lot of times, like in the book of Proverbs in the passage we just read, where there is a values-based, if you don't like this word, let let me use it loosely, judgment made about a particular set of behaviors. There's some judging happening. I don't mean it in the sense that Jesus said don't judge. What I mean is is there's a values-based assumption, judgment being made about a particular set of behaviors. In the passages we just read, We heard about people who are categorized as wise people. Wise people. You instruct a wise person, guess what happens to a wise person? They get wiser still. You correct a wise person, they get wiser still. But if you correct a fool or a mocker, you incur insults on yourself. You you engender not a thankful response from the wise person but from the fool you engender anger and distancing and frustration from them as you try to have a conversation with them now typically on this stage when we're digging into god's word i try very hard to make sure that i talk to you about what you're responsible for i don't want to talk to you about what your wife's responsible for ladies i don't want to talk to you about what your husband's responsible for Because at the end of the day, each of us will stand before God on our own. But today, I want to talk with you about what you're responsible for as you look out at other people. Using the passages that we just read and a hundred more that we could find that talks to us about who do we let into our lives and how do we engage people that may not be nice and responsible. Just as a way of kind of identifying our target here today. I'm not talking specifically, in fact, very little about a husband wife relationship. The principles I'm talking about today don't really relate there because a husband wife relationship is unique in all the relationships you have because you're bound by a covenant to each other. A covenant. We're going to unpack that in the next message series, pretty hardcore, but very simply today, a covenant relationship isn't like the other relationships you have with a friend that you went to high school with, or your college buddy, or your frat friends, or the person you work next to. You, you can be close to those folks, you can be connected to them, you can hear and understand, it can be mutually benefiting, but in a marriage, in a covenant of marriage There's a different dynamic that what we're talking about today doesn't speak directly to. I'm talking about all these other relationships, and specifically, I want to talk with you about relationships among peers, your friends, not your acquaintances, but the people you let into your life that speak to you. How do you know who should speak to you? How do you know who should grab your ear and get your attention? When they talk, you should really listen to them. How do you know? The passages we just read would say that it begins with unpacking, are they wise people? Are they foolish people? Are they wise or foolish? If they're wise, you would be wise to listen. And if they're foolish, you would be foolish to listen. Right? And that seems obvious, doesn't it? You would be surprised how many times in my life so let's not talk about you for a second. Let me do a little self-therapy. How many times in my life I've played the fool? You're looking at a recovering fool. You are. And I'm recovering. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm moving forward. But hi, my name's Ben, and I've been a fool. Because I've listened to foolish advice. If you don't like the idea of me calling a person a fool. That's fine. I get that. Let's talk about the behavior, personality type of the foolish person. I want to drill down through three personality types, two of them you might already guess, a wise person that the Proverbs talks about, the kinds of people we should open our lives to, the kinds of people we should be inviting in, the kinds of people we should be. I want to talk with you about the foolish person as the Bible describes it, and then I want to talk about another category we don't like to talk about at all. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. We have the wise person, we have the foolish person. And the Bible says that sometimes there's just evil people. Just evil people. In fact, the entirety of the book of Proverbs in your Old Testament, the book of James in your New Testament, and some of Jesus' teaching, you can identify which crowd he's trying to address by simply using those three monikers. Is Jesus addressing the wise? What's his tone when he's addressing the wise? Those that are leaning in and wanting to grow. What's his tone when he's addressing the foolish? What's his tone when he's addressing the evil? As we think through the Proverbs, James, Jesus words, I want you to think about another dynamic as well as we begin to dig in. I want you to think about the hope you have for your relationships to be meaningful, enjoyable, beneficial, helpful, a place of fun and excitement and challenge. Think about the hope you have for those things. Just real quickly in your mind, like just, you know, don't don't speak out loud, just real quickly in your mind. Think about the people in the relationships outside of just your spouse. I hope your spouse is all those things. But outside of your spouse, outside of your kids, right? Think about the people though next to your out who fit the category of wise people in your life. Just do a little. They know you. They know how to come to you with good news. They know how to come to you with challenging news. Think about those people. Turn turn the corner for just a moment. Think about the people who are in your life. You can't get away from them. Maybe they work next to you. Maybe you're bound because of some proximity. And they're not quite wise. Maybe they're more on the, the foolish category. And then let's just take a second... And think about some people that maybe you've encountered, heard about. Maybe you saw these folks on the news. Maybe the relationship is distance. Ho- ho- hope distant. Hopefully you don't have them up close. But maybe they would fall into the, the third category. If you, if, like, if you can't do that yet, if you don't have an ability to just kind of cycle people through that yet, hopefully by the time we get done, you'll have some tools to understand better how to do that. What happens when you experience some relational turmoil? What happens when you experience some relational turmoil? At what point do you realize that the hope you're having to hold on to that relationship is really just an unrealistic wish? When do you make a boundary around a person so that they no longer have the ability to speak into your life? I want to chat with you just a minute about how do you know when a healthy relationship is turning towards dishonor and abuse... And how do you know if that relationship is worth an ongoing investment? If you've had a friend that's been helpful and good, but it's soured, how do you know? How long do you work with? What boundaries do you put there? See, it's going to sound unchristian to some of you because you haven't spent, I don't mean this in a harsh way, you haven't spent enough time unpacking God's Word for me to say to you that you have a responsibility to make a judgment, a values-based decision about the people you let into your life by choice you have to do that if you don't do that you and if i don't do that i run along a perilous path that will lead to discouragement, frustration dysfunction pain for you and the people you love and relationships are incredibly difficult to manage One author that I read that's really inspired my thoughts along this line is a guy by the name of Dr. Henry Cloud. We've used his books in a number of our small groups around here. But he says this about the people we have in our lives. He says, no matter what potential someone has or what talents or brains or opportunities they possess, unless they also have the character to bring it all to fruition, success rarely happens. Who you are truly matters. some of us have people in our lives that are incredibly skilled at things or we enjoy their company or they make us laugh, they make us forget other stuff that we're trying to avoid, but at the end of the day, there's a character deficit. There's something that hasn't fully happened. I'm trying to get you to think about that. You have the responsibility to make judgment calls about the character of the people with whom you're going to try to build a life with. Or who you're going to try to bring a vision into reality with. I mean, you wouldn't start a business with a partner that you didn't have some reasonable sense about their character. But we let people speak into our lives all day long without ever really thinking, what's really going on inside of them? Yes, I understand their talent, their ability, their degrees, their titles, but what's going on in their heart? Because it's out of the wellspring of character. That a person earns the right in your eyes to be considered wise. In which case, you open the doors and let them talk. You open the door and let them in. It's out of their character that a person earns the right in your eyes. Biblically speaking, you have this responsibility to identify them as nice and valuable, but in the foolish tendency category. In which case, they should not be able to speak into your life. They can talk. But it doesn't move from your ears into your head and certainly not into your heart. So I want to give you a shortcut to making responsible evaluations of somebody's character. And if you do this, you'll get real close to knowing where they are when you give feedback and you watch their response. I'm going to talk about them, and then we'll turn and talk about us. You get real close to knowing what character what category somebody's in when you provide them some kind of feedback in life and you watch their response. You ever tried to give somebody feedback? We would call it constructive criticisms. Everybody likes the attaboys. Those are easy. High-fiving, you know, fist-pumping. In the 70s, give me some skin, right? Everybody likes that. That's easy. But what happens when you have a friend and you have to say something that isn't a high-five fist pump? Give me some skin kind of moment. What's their response? How do they respond when you have to provide some constructive criticism? When you watch that response, it's going to give you an insight, quick insight into whether or not they fall in the wise care category or into the foolish category and hopefully not into the evil category. Now, I'm assuming we'll do another message on how you give feedback, how you give constructive criticism, how you speak into somebody's life. We'll do that. We've done a lot of that. I talked to you a lot about being that kind of friend, but I'm talking about the kind of people today you let into your life. How do you get to know what's going on in here? You can't do life with any friend for any period of time until you come to a juncture where you have to make a decision. Do I lean in and go and have that awkward conversation, or? Am I just going to let it pass? When you let it pass, you miss an incredibly beautiful opportunity to see right where they are in here. So here's the truth. If we're to have any real hope for relationships that's experiencing any kind of turmoil, we have to learn to deal with the different styles of behavior in different ways. When you talk to a friend who is open... There's a way they respond. When you talk to a friend that isn't open, there's a way for you to talk to them that doesn't get you encumbered in a crazy loop cycle. And I want you to have hope. I want you to have hope that you can be surrounded by people who are at the core of their hearts, not perfect. Let me use a new phrase, wise enough. Wise enough friends. Wise enough partners in life. Wise enough. Wise enough. I don't know if anybody ever hits the full wise thing. So here's our basic question today How do you deal with the wise, the foolish, and the evil? Here it is. When the truth shows up, let's talk about the wise person for a few moments. The wise person accepts it, sees the light, takes it in, and makes the beginnings of the appropriate adjustments that need to be made. That's what a wise person does. Did you catch our verse? Speak to the wise and they'll be wiser still. Speak to their eyes. Correct the wise and they'll thank you for the instruction. It falls under the the, the category of true friends have the ability to speak to one another. People who are partnered together on some noble mission should have the ability to speak to one another. And when they do, those words are received. Because as the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. They hurt now. They sting a little, but they're better in the end. Do you have those kind of friends in your life who can receive feedback? If they can't, it gives you a little snapshot, not of the entire thing. You don't know everything about that, but it gives you a bit of a snapshot on what's going on in here because of their openness to feedback, talking to wise people is typically very helpful. You can have those conversations. You can drill down a little bit. And they'll use the input and in doing so, give others real reasons to believe that the future relationship, dynamic engagement, the future is hopeful and will in fact change for the better. Do you know why most of us won't lean in with our friends and have conversations? Because we're afraid of how it's going to go. We're afraid of whether or not they'll like us. But every time we don't lean in with our friends, we miss the chance to see what's really going on in here, And we miss getting a good temperature reading of whether or not they should be speaking back into our lives. Trust me, you want wise people in your life speaking into your heart. You don't want foolish people. Some of you have watched people crash and burn because while in and of themselves they were fairly good people, they were surrounded by foolish people who spoke into their lives. It's why I tell wives and husbands, don't gather with your friends and run down your spouse. Because when you do, you know what your friends will do. They will agree with everything you say about how selfish and mean and controlling your husband is or how ugly and not nice and unlovable your wife is. They will agree. Now, they're going to talk about you behind your back. But to your face, they're going to agree with you. You can always get people to agree with you if you have a sob story or a heartache. But a friend... A friend leans in beyond those things. And we need wise people. Here's some traits of the wise people. With constructive comments and feedback, here's what you get. You get active listening. They'll internalize some of it. They'll ask questions. They begin to realign objectives. They welcome your feedback. They receive it positively. Sometimes they'll even say, thank you for that. That must have been hard to share. And so performance problems and issues are resolved and owned. Responsibility is taken. There's very little blame shifting happening. The relationship is strengthened. They they experience it as you being for them and for their betterment. They're grateful for the feedback. They'll say things like, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I hurt you like that. Thanks for telling me that. I'm sorrowful to hear that I've been letting us down. I'm going to, for the sake of the team, I'm going to commit to do better. And they'll find their own words. But when you start hearing those kinds of things, when you lean in with a friend, with a partner, with somebody you're working with, you know you have wise people in your life. It's a shortcut to determining. Don't get eclipsed by the degrees and the titles. Don't get eclipsed by the emotional satisfaction you get as they agree with you. True wisdom... The Bible says it's connected to a person's ability to receive feedback. That's why I'm a recovering fool, because I've struggled with that. My wife will tell you, I still do sometimes. People I'm accountable to will say, I still do sometimes. There are areas in my life where I'm incredibly open to it. There are other areas that are typically surrounded by emotional complexities that I'm a little more closed to it. But the degree to which I respond is the degree to which I'm walking in wisdom. You need, and I need, wise people in my life. and You do too. And if you can't, not in an anti-Jesus kind of way, but in a values-based decision, judgment kind of way, say, these are my wise friends. I can afford to open my heart. I don't have to be as guarded. They're going to give me not just what I want to hear, but what I need to hear. And the only way for you to know that is for you to have the conversations you need to have and watch their response. Let's talk about the foolish person for just a moment or two. Foolish tendencies are quite different from wise tendencies. When comments and criticisms come their way, they resist it. When input and feedback comes their way, it's it's explained away. The fool may be, here's our slide, the fool may be someone who is gifted, producing and hardworking so they can turn out the work, but when the light shows up, they adjust the light. They don't adjust themselves, they adjust the light. And they're not seeking to understand. They'll try to exchange the truth, minimize it or excuse it, or shoot the messenger. Some of you are managers and you have employees and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you dread engaging that person because you never have the right timing, tone, words when you have to engage them. Some of you have a partner, a friend, and it's always your fault. You know what fools do? They have the meeting after the meeting. They triangulate. And now you're the problem, and they can split a company, an organization, a church. Most church splits happen because fools are acting the fool. That's why you can't afford to have them in your inner circle. They can be in your larger circle. They can be a project you're working on. They can be a person you're investing in, but they can't be right here. Because if they are, over time you're going to be sucked in to the foolishness. You know what I mean when I say they have the meeting after the meeting, don't you? You've had the conversation and then you find out they made the phone calls? And now you're getting feedback through the phone calls? Foolish. Not wise. Not people you let all the way in. Fools are defensive. They immediately come back with a myriad of excuses why it's not their fault. They block and push away the very thing that would help them grow, develop, improve, and mature. When a gaffe or mistake is pointed out, they externalize it, point the finger, and blame somebody else. Talking matters through with a fool is not helpful. And yet we keep trying. Attempts at constructive communication and to work through issues creates awkwardness, conflict, alienation, distrust, and often causes a breach in the relationship. At times, fools will act like a victim. And then, in their jaundiced, justified minds, they'll shift blame onto the messenger. If you hadn't done such and such a thing, I wouldn't have done what I did. So they trivialize important matters. And they think, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. We were just working through a thing. And they're rarely remorseful. There seems to be some energy around their uptightness and anger. It makes them, I think, feel in control and powerful. They're able to vent their venom onto others for being on their case. You don't want people like this in your inner circle. You can't get rid of them all, but you have the option, in fact, you have the responsibility to not let them up close and personal because they're self-absorbed. And they typically show little self-awareness or concern for the pain or frustration they're bringing you, the organization or the vision you're trying to reach. They're in their own fantasy world, always right. Others are always wrong. They're always the victim. Tragically, for their lack of ownership and their refusal to take adult responsibility for their lives, they live in adolescent, progressive adolescence throughout their world. And they want everybody else to accommodate their craziness. And it's foolish. When you talk to a person like this, they don't come to own it. They're not trying to understand. So Proverbs 9 and 8 says, Don't correct a fool unless unless you incur insults upon yourself. And yet we keep trying to talk to them. You know why? Because we're hopeful. How do you know the difference between hope and wishful thinking? Normal talking is not going to help, so stop it. So here's what you have to do. You have to limit your exposure to fools. You do. You can't get away from them. You work with them. They're in your family. They're your neighbor, can't get away from them, but you can limit, you can make a conscious choice. This far, but no further. I'll listen, but you don't have access. And in doing that, you're wise. That's what I want for my kids if they look at their friend group. Yes, you're a friend, but you're not a friend. That's what I want you to do with the people you hang around. It's why you got to get in small groups and build relationships with other people who are following Jesus because you don't just need friends. You need friends. So you limit your exposure. You make consequences clear to them. If you're a boss talking into an employee and you've been hesitant to talk because of their response and somehow they always turn it on you, you have to be clear with consequences. And so it looks like giving them a choice And then following through. you're not responsible for their behavior. You are responsible to how much access they have to you. And if you're a manager, a boss, a parent, kind of superior subordinate relationship, you do have a responsibility to make sure that their crazy making doesn't speak too much to the family, doesn't speak too much to the organization. That is your responsibility. You have a responsibility to make a judgment call about what's going on in here in the lives of people, not to the point where Jesus says don't judge, but to the point of making a values-based decision about whose voice is going to be fully heard and how much is going to be vetted. So what I find myself sometimes saying to people who I believe might have these tendencies is a phrase something like this. You know what we need in that chair right here is someone who's going to listen to the truth and reality. And I hope you're that person. Now, there's a hundred ways to say that. Sometimes people just don't respond. This was a major problem in the New Testament. That's why Paul wrote over and over again on two major themes. You can read all of Paul's writings from Romans all the way through Titus, and there's two major themes. We get Jesus right. He's the one and only Son of God, the only way to heaven. That's Paul's number one concern. And number two concern is unity in the body of Christ. And he was dealing with people who were recovering fools and sometimes slipping back into foolish actions. And so he writes and says, here's how we treat people who are recovering fools. Titus 3, 10. Titus is a young pastor, like Timothy. And Paul says to Titus these words. This is New Testament. Warn a divisive person and then warn them a second time and then after that have nothing to do with them. Sounds harsh. But only because we haven't made the values based decision that letting fools into our lives with unrestricted access can over time damage you and everything you care about. Some of us in this room are struggling in our marriages because we've been listening to fools, not because we've been talking honestly and respectfully with our spouse. Some of you are struggling at work because fools have had your ear. Not because you've engaged in honest, transparent, helpful dialogue within the structure of your workplace. Some of you are struggling with poor decisions and the results of poor decisions because you've had unfettered access to your heart given to fools. So fools don't change when the truth comes to them. They change when they have to camp out in the truth. And the pain of change is less than the pain of not changing. That's not fully on you, but you can know that. On the other hand, there's great hope for fools. Because fools can change, but it's going to take guts from you. Sometimes these are the hardest calls to make. Because it sounds so judgmental. It sounds so difficult. But God left us a gift in the Bible. We see it illustrated in the person of Jesus. Who spoke to fools all the time and gave them an option to change. And he made it clear to them that their change, he made them aware that their choice to change or not change would have a dramatic impact on their life, here and now and for eternity. while we don't have the certainty that Jesus has, we do have a responsibility to make decisions about who we let into our lives and who we don't. Wise and foolish people. Well, with wise enough people... You talk to them. You give them resources. You pray for them. And usually over time, you're going to get a return for your investment. With foolish people, you've got to stop talking. But talking's just making it worse. You draw some boundaries. You talk to them about, when you talk to them about the problem, it's not helpful because they're not listening. So you stop supplying them with money and resources and your time. And you just push them to the side if you have to. And you give them limits and well-defined access points. But with evil people, there's no need to spend a lot of time here. If you don't deal with them, you're going to get hurt. If you don't want to get hurt, you have to go into protection mode, not helping mode. Yeah, there are people out there to get you. They're so broken, wounded, whatever. If, if you think this is everybody, you have a paranoia problem. But there are a few. If you think it's nobody, you, you know, there is evil in this world. And there's evil lurking in small pockets around all of us. Evil people want to hurt you and your family and your kids intentionally. And so you can shake your head and roll your eyes, but that just keeps you from being in the game. So if you don't want to hurt, you have to go into protection mode. So you get locks on your doors, friends in your corners, and God on your side. You secure lawyers and the money you need to protect yourself from evil people because they exist. Evil people want to hurt you, and they will if you let them. And that's on you. You can see that. But do you know that between evil and wise, there is this other group? So don't shake your head. Don't roll your eyes. Get in the game and start making some values-based decisions about who has access to you. And the simple and quick path to do that is to simply ask, how do they respond when I give them feedback? Obviously, if that person's in this room, guess what I'm asking them to do about you? Ask themselves, how do you respond when you get feedback? It's a both hand. We talked all about wisdom from God's word, but here's what I want you to know. You can apply some of this to your life, but over time, this in and of itself, as good and helpful as this may be, this doesn't change a human heart. Jesus dealt with fools and evil people, and he held out hope. And he gave them opportunity, but there was always some sense of boundary. When he met the woman at the well who had made some very foolish decisions, he said to her, I don't condemn you. Man, that's grace. Right in the middle of foolishness, that's grace. And then he said, And now go and sin no more. Go, go and sin no more. When he saw Zacchaeus, the, the thief tax collector, he said, I'm going to go to your house today and have dinner. That's grace. Thank God, right in the middle of foolishness. And then after the conversation with Jesus, Zacchaeus went out and repaid everybody four times the amount of money he had defrauded them with. That's bringing wisdom to foolishness. Where do you need to bring some wisdom to foolishness, to relationships in your life? If you have a group of friends and they're not encouraging you in the right direction, you can have them as friends. You need to draw a boundary if you want this year to go better than last. Check yourself on this. Check yourself. Check yourself. And see if you have wise people. And if not, make this the year that you get better friends. Don't mistake companionship and crowds for intimacy and friendship. And don't let fools have access to your heart. Let's take a few steps together as a congregation. Grab out your Connect card. Looks like this. Every week I want to give you a chance if you're not yet in a relationship with Jesus who is in the business of saving fools and turning evil around. If you're not yet in a relationship with Jesus like that, I want to give you a chance to, to today make Him your Lord and Savior. A couple of other words we can use to describe that. He becomes the person that forgives your past, and then he leads your life, your forgiver and your leader, your savior and your Lord. And I'm asking you to make a decision to let him be the one in charge of your life. You give him everything, you trust him. The Bible says you do it this way. You acknowledge what the Bible says about you, that you, like me, like every person in this room, was and is a sinner but you're going to trust him to take all of that and turn it because he's our savior the way we ask you to do that is to take next step A right there and just put a check on it today I'm making Jesus my savior and lord in a moment I'm going to pray you can use my words you can use your own and you say to God God I'm a sinner would you save me I want you to lead my life I want you to be in charge and then we ask you to take this card and put it in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of the service. And we're going to communicate with you this week. You're not joining our church. You're not, committing, you're not signing up for anything. We're going to send you some email with some information about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. Next step B says, today I'm choosing to be baptized. If you haven't yet gone public with your faith, we're going to do that in just a few days. Check the box. Let my team connect with you this week about going public with your faith. All right, how about next step C? All right, some honesty here in the room, right? I got some growing to do to be wise enough. This week, I'm going to seek out and listen to some feedback. Hey, if that's you, no need to hide. Wisdom begins with making wise choices. Check the box. Let's make it a matter of prayer this week. I'll send you a few ideas about that this week in your email. If you check the box, and I can read your email on your card. And together, we can be less foolish and be more wise. Here's next step D. Who would say, Ben, I have a meaningful relationship that's in turmoil. Pray with me to be bold enough to hold to real hope and not just wishful thinking. Real hope its likely to change because you've had the conversations and you're watching their interactions. As opposed to wishful thinking, which probably just needs a hard boundary. Let's pray about that. Let's take that to God. Invite him into that situation. And then you begin making some wise choices around it. Here's next step B. I'm going to use that Fifty Shades card, the little ones. You have two of them. And I'm going to invite somebody to come with me to 4C on February 8th. You don't want to miss this. It's going to be a great conversation. I think you're going to find it very helpful. It's going to be tools to use with friends you care about. And for some of us, it will open us up to even greater light that God has for us on these subjects. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you're in the business of dealing with recovering fools. You turn evil around. I want to thank you, God, that there are people who are committed to you, that we can have in our lives and speak wisdom to us. God, make us wise in that we listen to feedback. We're receptive, we're open. And make us wise to have filters in our life so that we don't have unbridled access to our hearts and minds and thinking. God, I want to pray for the people in this room right now that that are declaring Jesus, Save me. I'm a sinner. Wash me by your blood. I trust you with my life. You have all of me. God, I want to pray for our church as we gear up for February 8th, for all the guests that you're going to send us. Make our environment warm and inviting. Make our truth clear. Let people see Jesus and be changed by him. And God, as we take communion today, Whatever strength and nourishment we need from you, may we find it in Jesus. Let us remember what you did for us as we celebrate together today. I pray it in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen.